The following podcast is brought to you by the Village Zendo. For more information, visit villagezendo.org. Nice to see everyone this evening. Thanks for being here. My name's Bokshu, and um, I thought tonight I'd talk about messages. Uh, if you live in New York City and maybe other large cities, uh, as you walk around, you might see messages scrawled or stenciled on the sidewalk. Uh, Sometimes they're advertisements. Sometimes they're so-called inspirational sayings. Um, you never know quite what they're about. And there are a couple that I've seen recently here in my walks to the Village Zendo. I thought I would talk about them and their implications for our practice, or rather our practice for implications for them. Um, so the first. Um, question I might raise about these little inscriptions that we see on the sidewalk in our urban environments is, is there actually some sort of an intention to these things? I mean, if they're not an ad, which obviously that's a commercial intention, what's going on with these inscriptions? Who's doing this? Why are they doing it? What are they thinking we're going to get out of it? It's very... Uh, nebulous. And I think most of us probably a lot of the time don't even notice them. I mean, we see them, but we don't notice them. They're there, and we're just, you know, our minds are somewhere else. Whether it's inscriptions on the sidewalk or people we pass by whose gaze we avert our eyes from, because uh, that's the way it is in big cities, supposedly. Uh, we're just not seeing these inscriptions. So it, they're there, but they're, they're not there. There is speech and there is silence all at once. And it just depends on whether we actualize our ability to pay attention, which is really the most important I think, fruit of this practice, is to really be with what's right there in front of us. Uh, so uh, I'd like to talk about the first message, uh, which was uh, painted many times on the sidewalk around downtown. And it says, dream until it's your reality. I'm not sure if anyone else has seen that written on the sidewalk, but it's not stenciled. It's actually painted on the sidewalk. Um, dream until it's your reality. It sounds kind of, I mean, at first blush to me, it sounds kind of warm and fuzzy. That sounds nice, you know? Everybody likes dreams and dreams can come true. Yay! But in fact, I have a major problem with this little slogan. Uh, but before I get to my little thing about the slogan, what is a dream? And what is reality? They seem to be distinguished here. Uh, one is not the other. 
one will become the other if we just do it long enough, however long that is. How long until dream becomes reality? Do I get a guarantee with this inscription? Um, so I, I'd like to suggest that dreams are private and unreal. And that at least one aspect of reality is that it's public and universally shared, even by people who deny reality, it is universally shared. <clears throat> and our study text for this last ongo had a line in it that I think expresses this universal sharing of reality, which is once practice practices all beings. So, as I alluded to just a moment ago, there are a lot of people who deny reality. It seems to be more and more a thing to just assert whatever you happen to believe, regardless of the facts. I think we read in the newspaper all the time about this. In politics, but also in other domains, medicine, healthcare, global warming. So basically science and politics, that's where this, I'll believe what I want regardless of the facts thing is really happening right now, more and more. And so if dreams could become reality, they would, the private, that's the dream world, the private world would supplant the public shared world, the world that we all share, the frame of reference that is out there for all of us, immediately available, would be supplanted by this private reality that is called a dream. And until that dream is realized, it would just be asserted in place of reality. But without a shared frame of reference, we can't communicate, right? We can't cooperate. So the result of this dream becoming reality, if, if that's how you approach things, is, is chaos and oppression, actually oppressing reality with a private vision of what it ought to be, regardless of what it is. And this is really the biggest problem that we have in our public life right now, is that so many people are running around asserting their vision of what things are like completely uh, counter to the reality in front of most of them, and certainly in front of all of us. Just making it up and saying that that's how it is, regardless of the facts. It's getting more brazen and more organized all the time. So I'm talking about this because of course, our practice is one where we meet reality. We actually are encountering it right now. Each of us is encountering it. So just notice for you what this moment brings right here and now for you. What is your reality? Because your reality is just one flavor of reality itself. We are all unique expressions of reality, but that does not mean that we get to assert our vision of reality, our dream, in place of the great reality that we are all part of. So 
rather than just dreaming until it's our reality, what about having an intention and taking action to realize that intention? That's really how it works in the real world, is we decide that we'd like something to happen and then we, we do what we can to make it happen. Hopefully with skill, compassion and wisdom, but we don't just lie there waiting for it to happen. I think that the assertion of our private reality over public reality is just an expression of suffering. It's this pattern where we can't tolerate what we're getting. So we're gonna pretend that something else is on offer and that we can make it happen just by denying what we don't want. And we've got plenty, each of us has plenty of stuff that we don't want, right? We have things we don't want and we don't have things we do want. So between not having the things we want and having the things we don't want, there's a lot of fantasy to indulge in. This is really what we're getting to the bottom of by sitting, isn't it? Seeing how our minds operate and noticing our addiction to fantasy and curbing that addiction by continually diving back into the reality that is our moment by moment experience and calling ourselves on our own crap, not indulging it. So an interesting example recently of this tendency to deny reality is this whole, maybe you read about this Paul Pelosi attack in San Francisco where this 80 plus year old guy, they broke in his house and hit him with a hammer. And it's a horrific story, but what's, been interesting is to watch the reaction to that story in certain quarters in terms of what has been made up to try to explain the story. And maybe you've been reading the news, maybe you haven't, but you know they've come up with all sorts of ideas about what was really going on at the Pelosi house that explains this in a way that no ideological responsibility could possibly be applied to the people who actually were espousing an ideology of attacking other people because of their beliefs. Um, so in their telling of it, this was a male prostitute that Paul Pelosi had invited to his house and he was actually trying to get out of the house, not break in. And they would look at the videos and the photos and they looked at the pattern of the glass and how all the glass was on the outside, not on the inside. And if they were trying to get in, that would have been on the inside, not the outside. And all this creative energy to try to apply a completely made up explanation to something really quite terrible and simple that a guy broke in and harmed another guy while looking for yet another person who then apparently he was gonna to use to get at still more people he didn't like. But all of that, which is gonna be litigated in court and is already in black and white from filing from government officials, doesn't matter. They want fantasy because that's much more comfortable. And I'm not just casting stones here. I do the same thing. When I don't like something, I make up a story. I'm very creative. 
I've got lots of ideas about how things ought to be. And I'm always imposing those, if not outwardly, certainly they're dancing around in my head. Well, you shouldn't be doing that. Well, you should be doing it that way, not that way. And I seem to always maneuver myself into these roles where I have the approval to do that. So this Sunday, we had a big ceremony and I was in, kind of in charge of it. And so I was the director and getting to tell people, not now, later, or now, not later. <laughs> so I understand from my own personal experience how seductive denying reality is and, and superimposing my own vision on top of it. But I'm calling myself on my own shit. And that's the antidote. And that's the fruit of practice. You sit on the cushion, you see how your mind works, you know exactly what you're doing, and you just don't let yourself get away with it because it's a, a big waste of time. And, it, and it's a big waste of time because what it does is it prolongs your suffering. It throws your suffering a life raft and says, yeah, you can get what you want regardless of the facts. And we're always clutching at that life raft when we're not paying attention to ourselves and how we're thinking and behaving. We're always after that life raft that says, I can have things the way I want, regardless of the facts. So this is just suffering. And what we're doing here is learning to diminish suffering. It's really that simple. So this inscription, is just an advocate, it just advocates more suffering. I don't think they intended that. I thought they probably, I mean, most likely it's just to give people the warm and fuzzies as they walk around this cold, chaotic, insane city that we live in, that they could have this wonderful inspirational message on the sidewalk. But it, it in fact is advocating for something that is, in my opinion, extremely harmful. But that is, of course, only my opinion. That is not reality. So you can decide for yourself. The other inscription I'm going to bring up is also handwritten on the sidewalk or on a barrier or whatever it happens to be on. It says, <clears throat> all Russians are guilty. Have you seen that one? There's actually a, a wall where somebody's taken the trouble to write it twice on the same wall. All Russians are guilty. And of course, we know there's a war, a terrible war, and um, that Russia as a country, because of its leader, is the aggressor in. They call it, of course, a special military operation. They don't call it a war. They don't call it an invasion. Do you notice how even the way it's labeled by the country that's invading is a denial of reality? Even to the extent that they cannot call it what it is, they deny the reality of what it is. I remember when my mother died and I wanted to have a service for her in the senior care facility where she was living. So I asked uh, the person who was helping me to do these things to type up a little poster and put it around so people would know that there would be this memorial service. So she did that 
And then she sent it to me so I could look at it. And it said, come to a celebration of life. For, and then have my mother's name. And I was like, wait a minute. My mother died. What is this business about a celebration of life? I didn't say that. This is a memorial service for a person who has passed away. And I had a lot of trouble persuading this very well-intentioned person to call it a memorial service. She was very resistant to it, but that's what it was. So the thing about this all Russians are guilty business is of course it's not true. I mean, we know that there are a lot of people in Russia who don't want what's going on to be going on. I mean, apparently thousands of men are leaving the country just not to have to participate in it. So it's factually incorrect. And then what it's doing is actually the opposite of what the first slogan was doing. The first slogan, dream until it's your reality, is imposing a private reality on public reality. The particular is being imposed on the general. And all Russians are guilty is taking the general and applying it to all the particular individuals in the country. So we can have this problem of reality not being confronted and recognized going both ways, eliminating the particular and glorifying the particular, eliminating the public shared reality and glorifying a false public shared reality. There are many ways to skin the cat of, I don't like what I'm looking at and I'm gonna just magically think that it's something else because that makes me feel better regardless of the facts. You notice how scornful I am about it? But I did call myself on it, right? I mean, I'm not pretending I don't do it, not for a minute. So, what are the consequences of this magical thinking in the real world? I mean, I've just alluded to the, the war in Ukraine or special military operation in the Ukraine. But there was another story in the newspaper not long ago. On 24th of October at about 9, 10 a.m., 19-year-old Orlando Harris entered Central Visual and Performing Arts High School on South Kings Highway in St. Louis, Missouri. He had a rifle and 600 bullets. And within 15 minutes, he had killed two people, injured others, I believe, and been killed himself. After he was subdued, they found a note in his car. And the note said, at least in part, <clears throat> I don't have any friends. I don't have a family. I've never had a girlfriend. I've never had a social life. I've been an isolated loner my entire life which he said himself was a perfect storm for a mass shooter. 
So these are the conditions that Orlando Harris diagnosed himself as having lived under. And these were the motivations for his terrible mistake of striking out at other people who had no responsibility for his life and should not have been subdued to exercise his demons. He couldn't tolerate his perception of his own reality. So there are people who paint little slogans on sidewalks and there are other people who get guns and go into schools and kill people. It's part of the same pattern. It's just a matter of degree. The degree of insanity is all that determines somebody painting dream until it's your reality or somebody going into a high school and, and wasting a bunch of people. But who told Orlando Harris that you had to have the things that he thought he didn't have? Where did he get the idea that he had to have those, that that was required for him to be whatever he thought he had to be? And who told Orlando Harris that having those things would have made him happy and whole? Where did he get that news? Where did he get those assumptions? There are plenty of people with a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a family or friends, and they're not particularly happy. Or maybe they're a little happy sometimes. I don't know. It goes all over the place, right? Sometimes you like who you're around. Sometimes you don't. And there are no guarantees in human relations. So he had a whole program about what he was supposed to have and a whole bunch of assumptions about what it would make him do or not do, how he would feel because he had it. Can you imagine the suffering that these ideas were causing him that drove him to this action? And these are ideas are all over. He didn't just dream them up, right? They are culturally imposed ideas that have cr created tremendous suffering because people compare themselves to those ideas and judge themselves to be inadequate when they don't make the grade. Again, reality is being subdued by ideas, private notions of how things should be rather than how things are. Why is it that we can never just look at how things are and be okay with how things are? That seems to be the last option that anybody chooses, except us, sometimes. <laughs> because we come here and we sit together. <clears throat> Orlando's dream was to have what he didn't have. And if he could not have that dream, he would dream up murder and mayhem, punishing those who he blamed for his own situation. He saw reality as separate from himself. He viewed reality through the lens of blame, which is always unfocused and highly disorienting. He blamed other people for what he perceived to be his problems, but we are always responsible for ourselves.
The only question for us is whether we are willing to set aside our dreams, to see ourselves fully, and to accept responsibility for what we see fully. And use all of our wisdom and compassion to reduce the torrent of suffering in this world instead of inflicting more suffering on others because we cannot tolerate what we see when we look at ourselves. That is the only question. Orlando Harris was just the tip of the iceberg. There have been 20 mass shootings since the one he instigated on October 24th with 30 killed and 78 wounded in this country alone. So far in 2022, there have been 580 mass shootings, 598 killed, 2,425 wounded. The CCC is not, sorry, there are a few more numbers here. But this is actually reality. <laughs> like it or not, this is what's going on. The CDC reports that firearms killed 30,540 Americans in 2005. That translates into 10.8 gun deaths per 100,000 people. In 2020, there were 15.1 gun deaths per 100,000 people. So there was an almost 40% increase in per capita gun deaths in the United States in 15 years, 40% more. We don't seem to be moving in the right direction, do we? And it was interesting to look at the numbers because there were several years for which there were no data. They actually didn't have the budget, I guess, or the approval to study the problem because there are a lot of people who don't want the problem to be studied. They don't want those numbers out there. They want to deny the reality of gun violence. So 15,000 people more in 2020 than in 2005 died by gun violence in the United States. Who were those people? What might've happened if they were still around? with us now, and that was just one year. Can you imagine how many people would be with us now if this was not going on year after year after year with no end in sight? Where are the memorials to those who have fallen to our inability to, to cope with reality, to accept what we see when we look at ourselves, to be fully responsible for our actions, our feelings. I don't see any memorials to them. There's a memorial for 9-11. That's 3,000 people. We're losing 15 times more than 9-11 every year to gun violence but there are no memorials, no solemn ceremonies in Washington or New York, no nothing. 
It's, it's staggering. This is not a political issue. This is actually a major public health crisis that should concern everyone. Through our practice, we are painting a message on ourselves. We are inscribing, we are stenciling a vow on ourselves. And that message is, see, tolerate, and be healed. See yourself, tolerate what you see, and be healed by your tolerance of what you see and your integration of it into your beautiful broken whole. Be healed and disappear because you don't cling tightly to your ideas about who and what you are, and you don't assert yourself over reality because you know that it is you and not separate for a moment. Serve reality. I'd like to quote, close by reading a quote from Victor Hugo. Uh, it's from his essay, William Shakespeare. <clears throat> the expanse of the possible is in some sort under your eyes. The dream that you have within yourself, you discover beyond yourself. All is indistinct. Confused white shadows are moving. Are they souls? In the depths of space, there are passings of vague archangels. Will they one day be people? Grasping your head between your hands, you strive to see and to know. You are at the window opening into the unknown. On all sides, the deep layers of effects and causes, heaped one behind the other, wrap you with mist. A man who meditates not lives in blindness. The man who meditates lives in darkness. The choice between darkness and darkness, that is all we have.